What's the most surprising thing that's ever happened to you? It's fun to think about. Think about the most surprising thing that's ever happened to you. My wife Kate and I were talking about it the last couple of weeks as I was preparing for this message, our God of surprises, and we reflected over our lives the thing that surprised us. I've, um, I've kind of refined it down into two categories. These are just my thoughts. There's kind of the, the typical uh, traditional surprise, the startling surprise. In the moment, someone jumps out at you, or there's a surprise birthday party or something like that. And then what I'm calling the sentimental surprise. That's in retrospect, looking back from where you are in your life now um, and where you thought you'd be, you know, when you a kid, you thought you'd be this, that, or the other, but where you are now, maybe it's positive, maybe it's negative, but surprise, as George mentioned, uh, we're con- uh, beginning a sermon series that coincides with the Vacation Bible School theme of monumental. So for the next three weeks, we'll be digging into God's greatness, his enormity, this God of monumentalism, if I can make up a word. And today we're talking about our God of surprises. I don't think it's an overstatement to say that just about everything in God's word, everything that God is, everything that he does is on some level surprising because he's different than us. He's holy. He's other than us. Today we'll be talking about this God of surprises. He goes to a man, Moses, who has difficulty speaking, and he says, Moses, you're going to be my spokesperson. Surprise. He approaches a man named Gideon who's so frightened he's hiding in a well press, a wine press, and he says, Gideon, you're going to be called the mighty man of God. Surprise. There's a really weird guy who lives in the wilderness, never cut his hair, eats honey and locusts, wears a camel hair shirt and a leather belt. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God says, no greater man has ever been born of a woman than he. Surprise. God tells a young virgin that she will become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, the Messiah, the God-man Jesus. He'll save the world from their sins. This will all help happen through you, Mary. Surprise. As I said, just about any piece of scripture could be picked out and we could define it as being surprising, but I wanted to work with this one from 1 Peter. These beautiful, surprising, tender words. Jesus himself bore our sins. Surprise. In his body on the cross so that you might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Brothers and sisters, this is God's word for us this morning. Let's come before our holy God in prayer. Father in heaven, you tell us in Isaiah 55 that your thoughts are not our thoughts, your ways are not our ways. In other words, you constantly surprise us. Sometimes that's a little unsettling, but remind us of your meticulous goodness Maybe some of us will be surprised by your goodness this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. We pray this all for your glory and and in your son's name, and together we all say, amen. I'd like to start here this morning, God's surprising standards. I think the world now especially is surprised by God's standards, what he sets up for us and what he calls us to do in our lives. Jesus is talking in Matthew Matthew 5. He says, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is just angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that even anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. These are surprisingly high standards. I think we live in a world now and in a generation now that kind of makes up its own rules and has no idea about the highness and the surprisingness 
of God's standards. Frankly, it's surprising how hard God is on us. Uh, the qualifying standard for the Olympic high jump for men is 2.3 meters. That's seven uh, feet, six inches. That's about this tall. <laughs> You've got to get your whole body over a bar that's about this tall without knocking it down just to qualify for the Olympics. That's a surprisingly high standard. Few people can do it. Few people get in. And, and the same seems to me to be the same with God's standards for our lives. Surprisingly difficult standards. You've got to be really, really holy to be someone who's never even been angry at somebody or wished them ill will or looked lustfully upon someone who's not your spouse. And Jesus says in his words to us that you are subject to judgment if you've even been angry with somebody. I think we have a whole generation of Christians growing up believing it's possible to accept Jesus without forsaking the world. Let me say that again. I believe we have a generation, and we're among them, who believes it's, quote-unquote, able to accept Jesus without forsaking the world. And we're not just talking in the areas of anger and lusting. How, how are we doing with some of the other standards? Having no other gods before us. Not misusing God's name. Honoring our fathers and mothers. Don't lie don't covet. God's surprising standards. Number two, God's surprising requirements. Surprising. Jesus continues in Matthew 5, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the, the bad people? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? And then he, and then he surprisingly ratchets it up even higher. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a surprisingly high requirement. Now, this word perfect in the original Greek is teleos, a couple of different definitions. One, having reached your end or being complete or mature or perfect. But even the easiest of these definitions seems surprisingly difficult. Loving your enemies, being perfect as your father is perfect, praying for those who persecute you. Point number one, God's surprising standards was don't do these things. Point number two, God's surprising requirements is this is what I expect you to do. Surprise. Found an online article called Are My Standards Too High? Six Reasons They Aren't. This is for people who are looking for a spouse and people, I suppose, who don't really know what the standards of their spouse should be. I didn't read, really read the article. <laughs> I wasn't that interested. I just saw the headline. But I'm sure one of the six standards is not find a spouse who's perfect because that would be a surprisingly high standard. Yet that is God's surprisingly high standard for us. This whole message on surprises is becoming surprisingly uncomfortable. One more, God's surprising decision. So he sets up this surprising set of standards and this surprising set of requirements, and he watches how it plays out on earth. And early on, it only takes us six chapters into Genesis to come here. The earth was corrupt in God's sight, <clears throat> full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. I'm going to bring the floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, 
Every creature that has a breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. And then a little bit of a twist, a little bit of a surprise, but I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. What a surprising twist in the story of our existence, that God made the earth and made existence and made humanity with these surprising standards and these surprising requirements. We fell apart. He just says, forget it. I'm destroying the whole thing. But yet I will uphold my covenant with you, Noah. You will be the one through whom all of humanity will come. Surprising that God would destroy the earth, but also surprising that he would allow a remnant to remain through his servant Noah. Hebrews eleven seven by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So a little bit uncomfortable, surprisingly uncomfortable on church on a Sunday morning. Standards and requirements that we can't keep and a surprising decision on God's part. But now the beautiful and surprising, gracious part, God's surprising rescue. Galatians 4.4, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Don't miss the fact that Jesus was born under the law. What does that mean? That means he was born with the same standards and the same requirements to be perfect. Yet he's the one who was able to pull it off. And so he looks at us, his sheep, and he says, I know you failed, but let me give you my good grade. On your account sheet in heaven, it says your name, and next to it, it says perfect. Because Jesus gave you his perfection. Surprise. God's surprising rescue. Who would have thought that the God of the universe would fix all of the world's problems through his son, Jesus, coming to die in our place? Surprise. I've used this illustration before. It's not perfect, but I think it's helpful. All of us are drowning, and the water is our sin. We're drowning in our sin. That seems pretty biblical. We can understand that. There's no hope for us. We're all going to die. But if we know Scripture well enough, we see the rescue boat coming And guess who's in the boat? It's Jesus, and he's coming to save us. Now, most of the world's religions that say you've kind of got to work or do your own effort to be saved would say, grab onto that boat and pull yourself in. You'll be safe. Have you ever tried to pull yourself out of the water onto a boat? (laughs) I think I could do it when I was four. You know, every good intention, and you get up about this high, and your legs are kicking, and you can't do it. And even for those of us who are super light and super fit that could do that, we can't do that in respect of sin. We're still drowning in our sin. So maybe a more gospelly kind of message, which is this Jesus in the, in the lifeboat would throw us a line or a pole and pull us and grab us in and pull us into safety. And that makes us feel a little better. That seems a little more gospelly. But even that isn't the real gospel. The real gospel is that Jesus jumps into the water with us. And he gets underneath us, just pictured, he's like underneath us deep, and he gives us with a mighty Jesus-powered shove up out of the water, and we kind of pop out of the water and land in the lifeboat, safe, where there's life. And the story continues. Jesus, in his efforts to save us, he himself drowns. He himself dies. Surprise. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and that we might might live in the lifeboat, in righteousness. By his wounds, by his beating, by his death, we are healed. 
because we were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Now we've been shoved in the lifeboat by God's deep, surprising love for us. The story doesn't end with Jesus drowning. He doesn't stay drowned. He's resurrected, and even that is is a surprise. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She wept. She bent over the tomb uh, to look into the tomb, saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Well, they've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. And Jesus says to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. God's surprising rescue through Jesus, his son, on this Trinity weekend, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now we serve a living and surprisingly powerful God. One more, God's surprising comfort. That's where we live. That's where we live in the lifeboat. God's surprising comfort. So the story continues. Jesus died in his resurrection, and he's with his friends. He's about to be ascended, about to be taken up into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And he says, I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going. Because unless I go away, the advocate, some translations would say the comforter, unless I go away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send the comforter to you. God's surprising comfort. Think of everything that the disciples had been through. They left their families and all they knew to follow this Jesus. They lived in their own type of persecution, their own poverty. They're disappointed that Jesus wasn't the the Messiah, the Savior that they thought he should be. They're shocked by his death. They're even more surprised by his resurrection. And now he stands before them and says, oh, by the way, I'm leaving. Surprise. But I'm not leaving you without the comforter, the advocate. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. How many of us have been overwhelmed by God's surprising comfort and peace in the midst of circumstances that otherwise would have caused us great anxiety and great distress? I've experienced it. It's supernatural. It's surprising. It's divine. Why in the middle of these circumstances that the world would see as horrible do I have this peace? Do I have this comfort? I've talked to many of you. You've experienced it. In the midst of the most horrible things, somehow this divine, supernatural, surprising comfort and peace comes upon us. The psalm writer David writes in Psalm 119, He's talking to God, remember your word to your servant. And then he acknowledges where that comfort comes from. You have given me hope. And he goes on. He said, my comfort in my suffering. So he's comforted in his suffering. And then he reminds himself where it comes from, from God's promise, which preserves his life. God, you're the one who gives me hope. You give me comfort in my suffering. And that comfort in my suffering is your promise. 
And what is that promise? That God is with us, that God is for us, that God is our redeemer, that God is our savior. God's a God of surprises. But we're not anxious and scared like he's going to jump out and frighten us from around the corner. We're walking with him in this delightful journey with a joy that's unexpected and a guide who's surprisingly kind. Three things I'd like for you to work on uh, this week. These are at the bottom of your worship folder. Familiar, familiarize yourself with God's standards and his require, requirement. These are, these are surprising. This is what we call the law. This is God's demands on our lives. And I think you'd agree with me that we live in a culture, especially now, that has put these aside. As if we could decide what is right and wrong, what is righteous and what is sinful. God says, oh no, I have surprisingly high standards and requirements. And once you're frustrated in that and see that you can't achieve them, number two, take great comfort in God's surprising rescue. The God-man Jesus who died on your behalf and gave you his perfect life a gracious gift that you receive simply by faith. And number three, surprise someone this week with a godly love that they don't deserve. Just surprise them. Blow their minds. Surprise. God's love and grace to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's a surprise that we even get to call you Father. It's a surprise that we get to know you. It's a surprise that we can speak to you even in this moment. It's a surprise that you paid for our sins with the life of your son, Jesus. We acknowledge that. We want you to know that we're grateful and we're thankful. Continue to fill our church community with wonderment and amazement as we investigate the fact that you are a monumental God. That this week we looked at the fact that you're a God of surprises. Next week we'll look at the fact that you're everywhere. And in week three we'll look at the fact that you're a God of deep, deep love for us. All glory be yours, that Christ's name might be known among the nations. We pray all this in his powerful, everlasting, and ever-changing name. And together we all say, amen.